Please remain standing as we join in the practice that Jesus himself would have had before coming to God's Word, the reciting together the first part of the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. If you'll follow me, Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Ahad. Together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. God's word from Matthew, the second chapter, and verse 16. When Herod realized he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and younger, in accordance with the time which he had learned from the Magi. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Well, this December, Herod made the big time. And the National Geographic December issue in big, bold, white letters, which is appropriate because most all of Herod's buildings were big and bold and plastered in white so you could see them from miles away. It says, King Herod. And then there was a National Geographic TV special on cable to go along with it. At first thought, I, I thought Herod would be pleased. But thinking more about it, Not so much. My thinking is Herod wouldn't want to be in just National Geographic. He would want to be Time's Man of the Millennium. He wouldn't be interested in being on cable TV. He'd want to be covered by all three major networks. You see, historians agree that Herod set out to become the greatest builder who ever lived. But Josephus adds this twist. He said that Herod set out to be the greatest man in human history. And he almost made it. He almost made it. When you look at Herod's life, you see he had everything. He had money. Herod was not only the richest man of his day. Many scholars believe he's the richest man in all of human history. Much richer than Bill Gates would be today. Herod's money typically came from two places, we believe. One is that his family, who were Idumeans, that means they lived toward the desert, uh, south of the Holy Land, controlled the trade route of Arabian spices that would go to more populated areas. And so every time spices came through, Herod and his family got paid a tax. And then later, Herod would discover, or at least market, brilliantly, something that became known as balsam. It was a modern-day Viagra for the people of Rome. It sold for more per ounce than gold. And men and women wore this perfume-like substance because of their belief that it made them irresistible at a hundred paces and less to the opposite sex. Herod was unbelievably rich. At any one time, scholars estimate, 40 to 60% of the people of Israel were employed by Herod in one of his major building projects. He paid all of their taxes to Rome for them. He had money. He had power. He at first had become uh, named governor of Galilee. And then later he married Miriam, who was a descendant of the Maccabeans who had, for a brief time had ruled Israel. And then he became named by uh, Octavian, Augustus Caesar, as, uh, as governor of Judea. And for 34 years, from 37 to about 4 B.C., Herod ruled 
and ruled completely. He had money. He had power. He had prestige. He was an Olympic medalist. He had won the javelin in the Athens Olympics. He had been trained as an architect in Athens. He was well known throughout that part of the world for his massive building projects. He had seven palaces, and all seven of them were larger than Caesar's palace in Rome itself. He had prestige. He was good friends with Mark Antony. And in fact, say some historians, Cleopatra made a play for Herod, tried to seduce him, but Herod, who ended up with ten wives, didn't go for it. Herod had it all. When Caesar named him governor of Judea, he described Herod as megalopsychia, which meant he is a big spirit. And in fact, he said, Herod, you're too big for Israel. And he gave him additional territories to rule. He was big, as big as anyone in that time and that place on the world's stage. Now, how did he get there? Well, we can look at Herod and see part of it was by chance, part of it was by good fortune, but part of it is Herod had certain principles that he practiced. And the first was this. Herod was uh, ruthlessly expedient and pragmatic. He did whatever it took to push his interests forward. When he was named governor of Judea and other territories by Caesar, Herod, who was half Jewish, marched up Capitoline Hill in Rome and offered sacrifices to the pagan Roman gods to cement his kingship. Herod, when he discovered this recipe for balsam, did it a little bit like Coca-Cola today. He made sure that nobody had the complete recipe. And we've, I've walked through one of his factories. It's pretty small where balsam was made, but the different compartments where different parts were made were separated by uh, walls which had large stones that you might roll back and forth, but from one direction only to get in or get out. And if somebody had the whole recipe, like the manager, they never lived to tell about it very long. Ruthlessly expedient. Cool calculation was a part of Herod's nature. Uh, King Herod is known in the scriptures for killing the babies. National Geographic says that that is doubtful. Unbelievable. I don't know. I'd have to disagree with the good folks at National Geographic. A man who was known for killing three of his own sons, his uncle, because they were threats to the throne, is certainly capable of killing small children that he's never even met. A man who ruthlessly killed thousands in a revolt two years before Jesus was born and started by killing the grandparents and crucifying them on the front doors of their homes so everyone could see is certainly capable of killing children he'd never met. Herod had ten wives. His favorite wife was a woman named Miriam. He loved Miriam. Uh, Herod, though, knew that people didn't love him, and so to ensure that people would cry when he died... He gave orders that on the day that he died, or at his impending death, 5,000 of the leading citizens, uh, Jewish citizens, were to be brought to Jericho and placed in the Hippodrome, the arena, and they were to be killed at the moment Herod died so people would mourn. Well, word came that Herod was near death. He was very ill. His wife and his first lieutenant neglected to carry out the plan. 
Herod survived and he was furious, accused his wife and the first lieutenant of betraying him and having a prayer. So he threw a big banquet dinner party and he had his wife, his favorite wife, Miriam, at the dinner and he he put a noose around her neck and at each course of the meal, he tightened the noose. So by the time of the dessert, she had been strangled to death. Another of his sons, he turned and roasted on a spit during a dinner. Herod was cold. He was calculating. He was always looking out for whoever might threaten his interests. Three of his own sons died by his hand. So from Rome, Caesar remarked in a play on words in Greek, uh, remembering that Herod was Jewish and kept a kosher diet, he said it would be much better to be Herod's pig than his son. who stood a lot better chance of surviving. This was Herod. Calculation expediency, pragmatism, and finally, impressive size and scale. Everything Herod did was big, bigger, biggest. Where they discovered his tomb and talked about it in in the National Geographic, a place called the Herodium, it is a man-made mountain that Herod built. He brought dirt there to build a mountain, to build his palace on top of one of his palaces. And at the bottom of the mountain was the world's largest pool, Halfway up the mountain, they discovered, was the world's largest mausoleum for his tomb. That was Herod. One of his fortresses was called Masada. And on top of Masada, he built uh, cisterns in the desert that would hold enough water to to give water for 10,000 men for a year or 1,000 men for 10 years in the middle of the desert. He built a man-made harbor in the Mediterranean called Caesarea so he could export to Rome and have a place for Roman soldiers to come. And, uh, and from Rome to help keep the peace. He'd sunk concrete forms 90 to 100 feet onto the ocean floor, and this was before scuba gear had been in- invented. He was a genius, and everything had a large scale. When I was in Caesarea in 1999, they had just discovered, uh, beginning to discover the size of the Hippodrome, which is Hippodrome's like where they have chariot races or they flood it with water and they'd have boats fighting each other. And uh, it sat, we were told by archaeologists, about 200,000 people in this arena, twice the size of the Rose Bowl. When I went back eight years later, archaeologists now believe it sat 325,000 people. Everything was a large scale. Everything was size. His seven palaces, all bigger than Caesar's, were very impressive. You could see them all because of their, their sh- uh, shining uh, white uh, marble and plaster from miles away. But how did all this work for Herod? One of the things you need to know about why he built seven palaces is he's built one near Jerusalem. Uh, he built one first on the water of the Mediterranean, then Jerusalem, and then they're almost like uh, uh, skips or hops all the way to the edge of the Dead Sea at Masada, across the Dead Sea to Jordan, to a place called Machairus. Basically, Herod built all those palaces as an escape route because he knew people hated him. And he thought one day there'd be a revolt and he'd better find a way to get out of Dodge. So he got all these forts and supplied them with soldiers and water and food so he could survive a revolt. He was so hated, that's why he had to guarantee that people would die on the day that he died so there would be some mourning. According to all accounts from all historians, when Herod had died the last years of his life, he lost complete touch with reality. Completely insane. 
Josephus said he had syphilis. We're not completely sure that's the case. That was often said of people who were hated. But he was hated. And he was mad. And when his tomb was discovered by the zealots who took over the Herodian 70 years after his death, they found a sarcophagus and they beat it into pieces that archaeologists just discovered last year. They hated him so much, they knocked his coffin apart 70 years later. How did it end for him? Not so good. Herod's way didn't end very well, but the amazing thing to me is how Christians so easily pick up on the Herod way. We've become so pragmatic about things. We do things because they're expedient. We do things to large scale and figure the bigger the better, and that must work out best. We do things in an impersonal and uncaring manner on behalf of a very personal and caring Lord. Herod's way, truth be told, is my way. The way that says more is better. The way that says the bigger building with more people filling it must be best. And decisions are made on whatever seems to work out and flow most smoothly. Did you see two weeks ago, front page of the Express News? And I know some of you mentioned it to me. It, it was a story on satellite churches, uh, campuses um, of ten large churches in San Antonio. Did you see that? So they had these ten large churches, and on the inside, well, I saw it. And I noticed there was a church left off the list. I noticed that because it's this one. I noticed it because we're bigger than at least two of the churches on the list, and our satellite campus was bigger than any of the others so far. I noticed that. And do you want to know I noticed? Because I went to school with Herod. I understand that. That what's important is that your name get out there. What's important is that you be seen as bigger and that you be seen as better. I know that way. But I want to tell you, I'm learning that that way does not last. There's another way. And it's the way where you don't put yourself forward. It's the way that where you don't try to show people from 10 miles away that you are shiny and you are gleaming and that you have it all together. There's the way of the broken pieces. There's the way of the cross. There's the way that says it's not how many people you know or reach, but how deeply you love and reach the people you do know. There's a way that didn't worry about arenas filled with 300,000 people, but instead chose 12 men and 7 women and wandered around with them for three years. There's a way of a man who didn't have a palace. He didn't have much less, didn't have seven, he didn't have one, and yet he told his followers, birds have nests and foxes have holes, but I don't have any place to lay my head. That's a way of Jesus. You know, Herod was described by Octavian, by Augustus Caesar, as megalopsychia. He's just too big for this country. Jesus may have been megalocardia, if there's such a thing. It was his heart that was so large that it took in the people he knew and loved them completely and deeply. And as John says, he loved them to the end. That was his way. Not a way of self-service, but a way of sacrifice. Not a way of bigness, but of smallness. Not a way of looking like you've got it all together, but a way of hanging out 
with the broken. That's his way. Well, what became of Herod's way? What's left? Well, actually, Herod still has a number of sites that are still being dug up and they're learning more about. But basically, he's got a bunch of ruins. This would be some marble. Very expensive marble. Brought by ship from Greece to Caesarea on the Mediterranean, where Herod built a marble palace that you could see way out into the ocean. When I was there in 1999 for the first time, there were a hundred other tourists just like me picking up pieces of Herod's kingdom, and this was all that was left. What's left of the way of the cross? What's left of the kingdom of Jesus? Take a moment. And look around you. This is the kingdom that Jesus established. Not of buildings. Not of size or scale or efficiency. But of real live flesh and blood people known and loved in their brokenness for who they are. Well, in December, Herod hit the big time. I don't know how many were sold. I don't know what National Geographic circulation is. Thousands? A million? I don't know. Several million? But I do know this. Three weeks after this magazine came out, two billion living souls on this planet gathered not to remember and celebrate the man who was too big for his country, But they celebrated the birthday of the man who was small enough to create a kingdom that went on for eternity.